Part two, chapter seven of Rubble and Rose Leaves and Things of That Kind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maddie Mast of Virginia, USA. Rubble and Rose Leaves by Frank W. Boram. Be shod with sandals. Is there anything fresh to be said by way of a charge to a young minister? I confess that until this morning I thought not. But this morning, to my inexpressible delight, I struck a vein that, so far as I know, has never yet been exploited. On these solemn and impressive occasions we have talked about the minister's scholarship and the minister's spirituality until we have come to feel that we have completely exhausted that line of things and in the process we have given the awkward impression that the minister so far from being made of pretty much the same stuff as the butcher the baker and the candlestick maker is a kind of biological monstrosity consisting of a very big head and a very big heart and of nothing else but this morning i made a discovery before delivering a charge to a young minister i took the precaution to have a good look at him and I found, to my surprise, that, in addition to the head and the heart upon which we have always laid such inordinate emphasis, he also possessed a fine pair of legs with a substantial pair of feet at the end of them. Nobody could have supposed, from the careful perusal of all ministerial charges in our literature, that any minister was ever before known to possess these useful appendages, but there they are. I saw them with my own eyes." Perhaps those who delivered the great classical charges only saw the young minister in the pulpit, in which case the limbs which I this morning discovered would naturally be invisible. Like the feet of the seraphim in the prophet's vision, they would be modestly concealed. But though hidden, they exist, and it occurred to me that a few very useful things could be said concerning them. Why should it be considered infada, I should like to know, to talk about people's feet, and especially about a minister's feet? The Bible has no hesitation in talking about them. How beautiful upon the mountains, said the prophet, are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And did not the Master himself, when he ordained his first disciples, deliver to them this striking charge? Take no shoes, he said, but be shod with sandals. The African natives thought of Livingstone's boots as a contrivance for carpeting all the slave tracks in Africa with leather so that he might walk harmlessly and painlessly along them. And when the Saviour tells his first disciples to be shod with sandals, I fancy I see miles and miles of meaning in those arresting words. Be shod with sandals. It is an appeal for ministerial simplicity. There were three classes of people in Palestine. The slaves went barefoot, the grandees wore elaborate shoes, the working classes wore sandals. The sandals were simple, serviceable, and strong. Therefore, said the master to his men, be shod with sandals. The line of simplicity is invariably the line of strength. Gibbon has shown us that it is the simplest architecture that has defied both the vandalism of the barbarians and the teeth of time. Macaulay has proved that it is the simplest language that lasts longest. John Bunyan's books threaten to survive all later literature. Why? The style of Bunyan, Macaulay says, is delightful to every reader and is invaluable as a study to every person who wishes to obtain a wide command over the English language. The vocabulary is the vocabulary of the common people. 
there is not an expression which would puzzle the rudest peasant several pages do not contain a single word of more than two syllables yet no writer has said more exactly what he meant to say for magnificence for pathos for vehement exhortation for subtle disquisition for every purpose of the poet the orator and the divine this homely dialect the dialect of plain working men was perfectly sufficient there is no book in our literature on which we would so readily stake the fame of the old unpolluted english language no book which shows so well how rich that language is in its own proper wealth and how little it has been improved by all that it has borrowed it is ever so the simplest language is the strongest language and the simplest lives are the strongest lives in his ode on the death of the duke of wellington tennyson says that the illustrious duke was rich in saving common sense and as the greatest only are in his simplicity sublime wherefore said the master avoid the vulgarities of the slave market on the one hand and the stilted affectations of the schools on the other let simplicity ally itself with strength be shod with sandals it is a great thing for christ's minister to eschew this vice of extremes all through the ages the pendulum of ecclesiastical fashion has been swinging between bare feet and golden slippers from the excessive worship of unholy revelries to which the roman world was abandoned the christians of the first century went to the opposite extremity and courted persecution by their rigid abstinence from and their most severe condemnation of the most legitimate and necessary pleasures back again swung the pendulum until the churches became the scenes of voluptuous luxury and extravagance we read on and the next chapters of our ecclesiastical histories bring us to the story of the monks and the hermits we no sooner discover an age of unexampled self-indulgence than we straightway come upon the puritanism that banned pilgrim's progress as a wanton frivolity and that denounced the fairy queen as a wicked and devilish intention and so we go on one day christ's minister would go barefooted like a slave the next he must needs affect a pair of golden slippers there was a time when the church gloried in her poverty her emissaries wore no shoes on their feet they dressed in rags and tatters they ate the berries of the hedgerow they drank the waters of the wayside spring and then hey presto the scene is changed the church gloried in her wealth all the world paid tribute to the popes rome rolled in riches and her proud bishop innocent the fourth laughed as he looked upon his countless hordes and boasted that never again need the church lament that of silver and gold she had none here is the church going barefooted like a slave and here is the church mincing in golden slippers and neither spectacle is an edifying one the master urges his men to avoid both the bare feet and the golden slippers let your moderation be known unto all men be shod with sandals it is the solemn and imperative duty of a christian minister to conserve both the dignity and the modesty of holy things a certain offence in the ancient law was to be punished by the deprivation of dignity thou shalt loose his shoe from off his foot and his name shall be called in israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed those who have carefully read that graceful and dramatic story unfolded in the book of ruth know the bitterness of that reproach the man whose shoes were publicly removed was like an officer whose stripes were taken from his arm in the sight of the whole regiment he became an object of derision and contempt any one dr samuel cox points out might laugh at him and call him old bearsole and his family would be stigmatized as the family of a barefooted vagabond 
be shod with sandals says the master do not expose the church to the contempt of the multitude conserve her dignity cast not her pearls before swine nor is such dignity inconsistent with simplicity dr johnson penning from his modest room at golf square that famous letter in which he proudly declined the patronage of the earl of chesterfield makes a much more dignified picture than the gilded aristocrat who tardily fawned to the great man's fame and george gissing has shown that the solitaries of port royal reading and praying in their poor apartments cut a much more stately figure in history than his refulgent majesty king louis the fourteenth strutting among the palatial chambers and the spacious gardens of versailles when i see the ministers of christ organizing nail-driving competitions for women and hat-trimming competitions for men in order to replenish a depleted treasury i remember what jesus said about the sandals he pleaded with his men not to expose his church to contempt it is better to do things modestly and preserve the church's dignity than to swell her funds and make her an object of derision it is better to wear sandals and be respected than to wear golden slippers and provoke disgust modesty and dignity invariably go together every man who aspires to christian ministry should read every word that charles dickens ever wrote in the course of that humanizing process he will then come upon the terrible fourth chapter of the uncommercial traveller it is the most powerful appeal for ministerial modesty in our literature can any man read without a shudder that revolting description of evangelistic bluster and who is he that can read without tenderness that closing appeal of the novelist to preachers he entreats us to remember the twelve poor men whom jesus chose and to model our behaviour our language our style and our choice of illustration on the exquisite simplicity and charming grace of the new testament records but we must sound yet a deeper depth be shod with sandals said the master now sandals are easily slipped off and easily slipped on and why should the minister be ready at a moment's notice to bare his feet the man who has read his bible knows there came to moses the vision of the burning bush and the lord said unto moses i am the god of thy father the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob draw not nigh hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground and when moses the servant of the lord died the vision of the captain of the lord's host came to joshua and joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him what saith my lord unto his servant and the captain of the lord's host said unto joshua loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy and joshua did so be shod with sandals said the master so that the moment the vision comes you may be ready adoringly to welcome it nothing in the ministry is more important than that the minister should keep in touch with his dreams with his visions with his revelations the tragedy of the ministry is reached when we lace up our elaborate shoes and say good-bye to the place of open vision we never expect again to behold the glory the ashes are black on the altar of the soul the altar on which the sacred fires once blazed the light has gone out of the eye and the ring of passion has forsaken the voice be shod with sandals said the master to his men take no shoes but be shod with sandals the vision that led you into the ministry may come again and again and again be shod with sandals that you may be ready for the revelation yes ready for the revelation and ready also for the road for sandals are easily slipped on 
and the minister must expect the call of the road at any moment. He must be at home in the silence, he must be ready for the revelation, but he must not become a recluse. That was what Longfellow meant by his legend beautiful. The vision appeared to the monk in his cell, and he worshipped in its wondrous presence. Then he remembered the hungry at the covenant gate. Should he slight his radiant guest, slight his visitant celestial, for a crowd of ragged bestial, beggars at the covenant gate, would the vision there remain? Would the vision come again? A voice within bade him go and feed the hungry in the road outside. Do thy duty, that is best. Leave unto thy lord the rest. He went, and when he returned, he found to his delight that the vision was still there. Through the long hours intervening, it had waited his return, and he felt his bosom burn, comprehending all its meaning. When the blessed vision said, Hadst thou stayed, I must have fled. Be shod with sandals, said the master, so that at a moment's notice you may slip them off to welcome the vision, or slip them on to take to the road. The crest of the Baptist Missionary Society is a picture of an ox between a plough and an altar, while underneath the symbols are the words, Ready for either. The ox is ready for service in the field or for sacrifice in the temple. Christ's minister stands between the glory and the majesty of things divine on the one hand, and all the paths and prose of human life on the other. He must be ready at any moment to enter into fellowship with the skies, and he must be ready at any moment to hurry forth to see a sick child, to comfort a broken-hearted woman, or to share the burden of a man whose load is greater than he can bear. Be shod with sandals, so that whether the revelation or the road shall call, you are ready for either. The minister is neither mundane nor monastic. The minister wears sandals that he may keep in touch with two worlds. Let me live in my house by the side of the road where the race of men go by. They are good, they are bad, they are weak, they are strong, wise, foolish, so am I. Let me turn not away from their smiles nor their tears, both parts of an infinite plan. Let me live in my house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. And there, in his house by the side of the road, the minister will welcome his wondrous visions and will take good care to be shod with sandals. Gurnall concludes the first volume of his great work in The Christian Armor with six directions for the helping on of this spiritual shoe. But the man who is wise enough to wear sandals stands in no need of any such elaborate instructions. End of Part 2, Chapter 7